0: Why struggle through a post-merger integration when you can glide through it? Why deal with the PMI integration challenges when you can overcome them even before they occur? Why move slow when you can move at pace? What are the world's leading PMI experts doing right now to achieve profit-accelerating integrations? This podcast will give you all the answers to these questions and many more. My name is Dudley Peacock Welcome to the 100 Days and Beyond podcast. All right. Now let's have a a chat to Simon Severino. He's one of the most prolific podcasters and content generators, but also absolutely brilliant in terms of background and understanding of the PMI world, the post-merger integration world. And he's done a number of these. He's got a team of individuals and so on. And I really just want to understand, Simon, just give me a little bit of the journey. How did you happen into it? Did it just happen by mistake? Is it something that you planned? Tell us how you got into the PMI journey.
1: Hello, everybody. Yeah, probably most things happen by mistake. I would agree. So I started 21 years ago falling in love with the growth topics. So helping executive teams solve big problems and big problems are usually the go-to-market problems. Do we enter that country this way or that way? Do we need to add the product or do we need to let the product go, like diminish the products? Should we productize one of our service offerings? These are the big questions of executive teams that I was asked to solve with them. And so I would fly them, solve them with them. And I was proud when we did. And so that gave me more energy. I wanted to do more of that. I did it in more countries, in more industries. But I did fell in love with the growth aspect of things and the growth problems. Because there are two problems that really excite me. Everything is, I find, boring. One is money growth and one is time growth. So these are the two problems that I like. Either more money or more time. As an individual, where you can find that brings me more time, you got my attention. Because more time is more freedom, is more joy. And and as a business owner, whatever you can bring me that brings money growth, i mean, Because more revenue, I can make more profits. Of more profits, I can reinvest. And then we scale the baby and then seeing how it grows. So I did fell in love with growth after many failures in other topics. But I did fell in love with the growth topics. That was my thing. That was what people asked for. And for 21 years, I've been doing only growth advisory, growth consultancy. And I guess today we will talk about one specific growth strategy, which is you can grow by buying competitors and by buying suppliers, mainly. And this is what I'm asked nowadays. Hey, Simon, I want to grow via acquisitions. And then you have three big questions. One, is it the right thing to do? Then the second is who is the right one to buy. And the third one is how you integrate them because otherwise you have just more headache, but you want to have more profits actually. And but from buying to more profits, that's quite a a journey (laughs) where you are specialized in. And I'm happy to share some moments from there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a wonderful beginning story. And I think the philosophy of growth and time, If I suppose that's what everyone pursues nonstop. Even if you coated with many other words and things people want growth and time generally especially if you're entrepreneurial and you want to develop your baby your career or even the the entity that your venture that you started and get so excited about you know i heard yesterday about a guy that had at the beginning of covid he had a logistics company and he had actually got up and running about two years he was just about to get to break even he had taken a whole lot of bank loans and He'd leveraged his business to the hilt and then COVID hit, and he actually owns a whole lot of airplanes. and his planes got stuck during COVID and he pretty much lost everything. And he dusted himself off, re-engineered himself, and that probably comes back to growth and time. And he stepped back up again and his first year of trading, he got back to about 13 million pound turnover getting his planes flying again, getting them out of whatever state they were in and off he goes. So I bet you got a number of those kind of stories, especially around your current sort of activities and so on. But let's talk about the PMI side of things. Give us a bit of a flavor of what does it take to be a really good PMI integration specialist or practitioner or someone that wants to get involved in that arena?
1: When the PMI starts, A couple of things already happened that are important. The first is the decision. Is this the right strategy for us to grow? Because there are many other ways to grow. You can grow via IP licensing. You can grow via organic sales. You can grow via certification models. You can grow via franchise modeling. You can grow in many ways. So that happened already. Then you had the financial integration. Now you have two companies that you want to bring together. and now. The main challenge is cultural integration, integrating the reports, the behaviors, the meetings, the people. And this is where most failures happen. You have different outcomes with different types of mergers and integration. But just to simplify, let's say that half of them just go wrong, means that you do not use the synergies the way you thought you would do them by having a better strategic positioning, being one up against your competition, having higher profits in that area. So it's a 50-50 chance to say it very roughly, the number is not correct, but so that you have a feeling that it actually will not work out unless you set up a specific process. And the process that we set up is in the beginning, we do... A project map which starts with interviews. We talk to as many people as possible in a structured way and we create a documentation and a report about that. And then we work on three levels. One is the whole thing, how to manage the whole integration. Then you have the content part. Content means integrating the single topics, you know, purchasing integration, sales integration, the new sales strategy, et cetera. And then you have work streams are the people who are doing the same thing in both companies. And what we like to do is we have then two project leads, one from company A and one from company B, and they have to lead each work stream together. So for example, central functions, right? Controlling HR, etc. We will have controlling leading that together, HR doing that together. And you know, usually the most important work stream is the new sales strategy how you work on those new saints opportunities. And where can it go wrong? There will be emotions and there will be under communication. These are the two main things. If you cannot handle tough discussions, you will probably fail. If you don't create a space for hard discussions together, tough conversations. And then you have some personnel decisions to take and the way you take them and the way you do it, that makes it the whole difference. If you irritate the system or if you just create synergies. And then the third part is don't under communicate, rather over communicate. So we always say over communicate, over communicate, make a special communication about this integration And let's say every Friday you do a small blog or a small video. And even if in a week you say, oh, this week we did nothing. We just worked as usual. We did nothing about integrating because we are a bit overwhelmed. Next week we will do more because you always have both. You are running a business plus you are integrating. And so for everybody, the challenge is how much of a priority is this integration actually? How much do you put in? Oh, 20%, 40%, 30%. And Because it's not the most important thing, but it will fail if you don't put in the attention. So you have to manage it. That's um, a rough project. That's
0: that's actually very interesting. And I think the over-communicator is pretty good in terms of of concepts. And I've heard that so many times from various practitioners. And you're a growth guy. You're a marketing guy. And and isn't communication a, a, a lot to do with the messaging understanding who your audience is, what the target market is, and, and understanding what sort of communication you need to share. And I want to just add an extra drop of something that I've heard. And something that really got me thinking is, you know, we talk about viruses and everything, everyone is around the pandemic and all these things. And there's a, a contagion or a, let's call it an infectious diseases. And people generally think about that as something that you can catch or die from or get very ill from, physic. But what I've sort of picked up over the, uh, over the last while is that huge things like a culture, things like uh, people being angry, sad, people being anxious and all that can also be contagious, just like a virus. Yes. So in, in the PMI environment, especially because you're dealing with so many people and when you talk about over-communicate, I want you to see if you can, I'm throwing this curveball at you, Simon, because you can, definitely handle it, I know, is tell us a bit about if you get that messaging wrong, if you're not getting the target sort of message to the right kind of people, how it can actually potentially spread and actually work against you. But good messaging, again, can be contagious (laughs) and it can work in your favor. Please share some of your thoughts around that.
1: I have a simplified model that helps me. It's the strategy sprints model. For people who are watching, they can see it right now. So it's just this, what is a business actually? And this we use in every project as a checklist for our own progress measurement and communication. In the middle, you have marketing, operation, and sales. Because that's basically what a business is, right? You say, hello, here we are, marketing. Then you say, hey, this is what we can do for you, sales. And if you get them across, now you deliver operations uh, Mm -hmm. on what you promised, right? That's the business. But... You need also two things more. This is the vertical axis. You need also a good positioning. So what's the difference between you and everything else that I can do? I can do it maybe on my own. I can do it with those other guys. Mm. So what's your positioning? What do you stand for? And then you have mindset. And this is what some business growth teams overlook. As you say, it's like a virus. It spreads. Culture spreads in every way. A toxic culture spreads in a toxic way. And you lose the best people an inspiring culture pulls out of you, your superpowers. If you can spend two months with the Navy SEALs, the Navy SEAL in you will come out because they have a strong culture. What, and it's baked into everything they do into the first week, into the communication, into each words that they say in the onboarding, into what you get in terms of physical items that you get and how they talk to you and what they expect from you, you will be infused with that culture. And whoever from us, if you enter the Navy SEAL in you, will get pulled out. Doesn't mean you stay long there, but it will be pulled out even from the most couch potatoes of us. And so they will pull out from us more push-ups, more discipline. Because it's there and culture can pull it out and zoom it out, or it can zoom out something else, the darker side, the toxicity, the narcissism, the power dynamics, the politics, all this functional stuff. And so we go through this checklist and with the communication, we start first with the business level. And then, because it's first add REM and then add persona first, the systems than the people. Now this might sound cold. What? The people last, people are first. It's it's all good, don't worry. This is not a cold view of the world. People matter and people are super important. But a business is not a family. That's a difference, right? You have organizations that have a purpose and you have organizations that have no purpose. (laughs) A family doesn't have a purpose, a family is just to enjoy, all right? You enjoy your family. And you cannot change roles. I'm the father and I'm the husband. I cannot just change role and become the son in this constellation. So that's the difference, right? A business is a system. And in a system, the most important thing are the processes, resilient processes, resilient feedback loops. So this is the first thing that you talk about and the first thing that you have to manage. And when that is done, now you think about who is the right person to lead each part, to execute each part. Because you will have this discussion in every p You say, all right, we start with marketing sales and operations and you say, okay, what's the best way to organize now that we have more resources? And so you will create a new organization. And so we first talk about the why, the market, who we are here to serve, marketing, operation, sales, how we use those new resources to create an even better service system for them and now personnel so this is what's going to change and these are the hard discussions that you need to moderate you have to hold the space not do not avoid those discussions and do them in a say you need to create safe spaces one to one conversations small workshops bigger workshops etc you need the right formats to have these safe conversations that start with the thing why the systems are getting better and how will those people energize which role. And it's not cold, it's just this is systems thinking. You have to understand systems when you have one in front of you, independently of, you know, if you are more agreeable or less agreeable. I like people, but when I look at a system, I'm a systems thinker. It's not about liking or not liking people. It's about understanding the thing at hand. And Apple is different from a, a strawberry and you have to handle that. So we look at the system, marketing system, operation system, sales systems. How can we do them better? Will we do now two brands, one brand? What does it mean for branding, sub-brands or not? How do we handle that? Always from the perspective of the client. And then mindset, as you said, this is now the culture. Okay, you take decisions quickly and you just run with it and you apologize later. This other one, you have committees and you talk everything in long meetings before you start anything. Wow, okay. Now, one mistake in PMI is that you take the winner's default template and put it over the one that you just bought. And then you have basically just more of the same. It's better, again, as a systems thinker, I say no. I want to hear all the differences first and then integrate because there is a reason why we bought them and there is something that they can do better. And so I want to hear all those differences first, understanding the system and then integrating the strengths. And that might be having very different things. And you want to hold that tension that these differences bring in because these are the superpowers and this is what you need to integrate the differences, not the similarities.
0: Exactly right. And the differences often bring the strength because of the the old cliche of group. If everyone thinks the same as one person and just you're going to end up down the wrong path. I want to ask you just around the, the, the engagement, the type of engagements you've you clearly work as an outsourced resource. And that, that provides an extra bit of work because you've got to not only get to know the target or the acquisition or the merge, the entity that's been acquired, let's say to be merged, as well as the acquiring partner. Uh, you got to get to know them both. It's a sort of a double learning curve. Now, if you can give me your view on what's the difference between coming in as an outsourced um, individual, as opposed to being an in-house post-merger integration uh, practitioner, working with an in-house integration management office and where there's already structures or even getting involved with a company or an entity that's never done it before. What's the difference do you see between in-house and an outsourced practitioner?
1: The differences are that if you are a publicly traded company, a big company that's acquiring many times, you will have a PMO, a project management office, where you have all these standards already in there. And if you don't, and if you're an outside resource of a small team buying for the first time or for the second time, but they don't have the resources to have a PMO office, then you basically, you have to invent the standards first. Mm. So you will have some standards that you invent. We call it the PMI handbook. And so if we are externals and they are small, we build the PMI handbook with them during the project. And when the project is done, they have those handbook and every next acquisition they can do on their own with the handbook. And so we create their PMO if they don't have it. If there is an internal structure already, then you have the PMO, which is cool because now you have checklists, you have blueprints, you have, oh, this is the form, how the work streams are gonna report to -hmm. the steering group. And this is the standard, how the steering group is gonna report to the sea level for example and if you don't have that as an external then you have to create it with them i always advise to create with the system not for the system because Mm -hmm. if you create for the system they are not learning anything and they will depend on you and that's not the idea you as a systems thinker you want to strengthen always the system not the individual. So you're not strengthening yourself to make them dependent so that you can stay there for six years. That's not the idea. No, you look at the system, what does make the system stronger and that's doing it with them and documenting in a way that those standards stay with them. So you create systems and the systems keep on giving.
0: Yeah. So I think systems often, when you answer something for the first time, you think you've got potentially some templates or you've spoke to someone where you've got somebody that you're potentially shadowing and so on. But tell me about your learning process, your review process. So at the end of every project, at the end of every integration, and our integrations take different timings, don't they? I mean, we all want it to be 100 days, I and mean, that would be the dream. I
1: never did anything in it, 100 days. No, it, it, the it, integrations it, with me, did they take one year, two years. Exactly, especially
0: because there's different work streams. And if you look at, a let's say, a technology work stream, and you're integrating ERP and business management systems, that's a good 12, 18, 24-month section of it. However, say a very simple portion of the integration, a smaller work stream like payroll can be done relatively quickly. There could be, if there's a lot of synergy in terms of let's say the target market, and all you're doing is you're bringing very similar customers together, you can probably within three to six months, bring together customer bases and get the right kind of marketing messages out there. So I imagine it depends very much on the work stream. It depends very much on the organization and also what level of integration you want to do. If it's shallow sort of or midway or whether it's really deep integration where there's nothing left in terms of identity of the acquired entity. So I'm guessing there's so many variations and variables just give me a little bit of an idea of your learning process. Because of these multiple variables, there's so many things going on. so many work streams. How do you learn from previous integrations that make your next ones better? Because the next one is potentially not going to be similar or the same than the previous one. So give me your view of the world on that.
1: Oh, yeah. I go back to my simplified checklist. So I always use this for progress review. And for learning review. So go back to the simple model, and each element in the strategy means method has an after action review. So even if we just talk for one hour about, hey, should we integrate the purchasing now or do we keep them separate? And we just have talked one hour, just the owner and I, we've been talking for one hour. The last 10 minutes of those 60 minutes are the after action review. I say it. What went well, even better if. And we don't go apart before we did that after action. Really. That's on the smallest element, which is just one Zoom meeting for an hour with between two people. Same thing with every workshop. So, so we have half a day's workshops, one day workshop to design bigger things like, okay, what's the overall sales strategy and what will this mean for each single department and product? That's a one-day workshop. Also, the last 20 minutes of those one-day workshops are after-action review, and we learn from that. Next bigger level is the project roadmap. You have the steering groups, the work streams with the work stream leads from both sides. They review every seven days and every 30 days. And all those things, all those learnings, we have a PMO on our side. If they are small, we do PMO for them. And so we write all these insights into the PMI handbook. That's what they get. It's a documentation of those 12 to 24 months work together. That's usually our time span. And they have it in hand. They have all those learnings there. So whatever they do next, they reuse this as a blueprint. There are general principles in there, like use the differences first and then integrate, etc. Start with marketing sales operations, then go to culture and people, et cetera. So these are general principles, but then there are also the specific, industry-specific and culture-specific and region-specific. Our PMIs are very different in Germany than in Singapore, than in Los Angeles, as you can imagine. So there is also the specificity of their PMI handbook. And that's important because, you know, the communication needs to be in their words, in their culture, in their values. Yeah. And, and so that's the specificity. So how do we ensure learning? There is after action review in every element fractal from the smallest to the biggest. And there is a whole documentation that stays with the client and they will reuse it when they do the next integration. Because usually our clients are people who are serial buyers because their strategies. I want to grow via acquisitions. And that's usually a series of acquisitions.
0: It's almost horses for courses in a way where it depends on the review and what type of review, what you want to get out of it and so on. I want to switch gears a little bit. And, you know, with currently what you're doing and doing very well is on the strategy sprints side of things. And I'm guessing that... That when you engage with in an integration, that one of the parts of your flair and your passion and your love for marketing and sales and just generating growth and so on, I'm guessing you lean towards that side of things. And I'm guessing that's why people would engage with you, be it a private equity firm or a corporate or even just a a smaller mid-sized business that's looking to acquire. Give me a really good idea of the strategy sprints methodology in terms of How would you actually grow in terms of an integration? What would you do to take two entities and make them grow? Open-ended question, but I mean, it's open for you to just share with us. What would that look like in the bigger pictures?
1: We back engineer from what we want to do, why we integrate in the first place. So we want to integrate. If we are on board, then this means... We want to grow by acquiring either a competitor or a supplier. And so we want to buy them and merge it so that we gain market shares and profitability. So Excellent. that's the goal. And if we if that's the goal, then we have to back engineer all right, 24 months, that's what we assume as a standard. 24 months, how do we break it down? So the process is always the same interviews, setting up project organization, kickoff workshop, setting up work stream, setting up the steering group. And and then there are the communication loops and reporting loops and communication structure. That's our templates. And that's what works in every industry in every country. That's the the general skeleton of the roadmap to how you do that. And now we fill it with life. Now their content comes in. When we back engineer, this is what we have in mind. So We look at the very specific thing and we share with them. Look, this is how a marketing system looks like. Mm. And I won't read the whole thing, but it's a very specific long checklist. You call it a marketing system if it does repeatedly and independently of the people. Remember, we're talking systems. Mm. If it does repeatedly and independently of the people, these five key things. Then what is a sales system? A sales system is something that does repeatedly and independently of key people, these things. What is an operations system? People go, what, an operations is Yeah, that's how you onboard clients. That's how you get paid and how you deliver on your promise. And so there is another checklist. And the same thing for positioning and the same thing for mindset. And mindset equates to culture. In an individual, it's a mindset, but as soon as you are together, it's your culture. Because mindset is not just in your head, it's how you take decisions, how you do now this or in a given situation. So mindset, you live it in behaviors all the time. And so this is the end goal of every integration. And from there, we work backwards and every work stream has that as a checklist. And we work in the scientific method towards that. We want to get nearer to that every week. That's the strategy of method. Now, other methods are also similar, but they just have monthly or quarterly reviews. We have weekly reviews. That's the sprint part of the method, because over the last 21 years, I have lost interest in anything that will not be measured every seven days. So if I'm doing something and I'm not having fun this week, I won't do it. If I cannot feel progress this week, I'll stop it. And that became the strategy sprints method. Whatever you do, there is a weekly measurement. Now you might say, yeah, but some things are bigger. Like for example, writing a book, you know, you cannot ship it every week. You cannot enjoy it every week. (laughs) I thought so. And that's why I never wrote a book. But then I had a little idea and I said, wait a moment. What is a book? A book is like 12 chapters. Okay. 12 chapters. How much words is a chapter? A chapter is actually three blog posts. Three blog posts are actually a 25 minutes video. How many videos do I do on YouTube anyways? I'm doing four per month. Wait a moment. If I put one year of YouTube videos in the book, <laughs> that's the content of a book, right? Yeah. Ah. And now I had something. Okay, now I can do this a weekly fun thing. I do a video, I put it on YouTube, I get comments, I get questions, I get my feedback that I need, because I want to see if this is relevant, if this is working, and I want to feel it now. Otherwise, I stop it. If I'm doing something that is not relevant and not helpful and not impactful, why would I continue? I love that methodology, and you're definitely a systems
0: thinker. You'll take a task or a, or some kind of goal, and you'll break it down into bite size or you know the normal digestible chunks. And then you'll turn it into something practical and something you can actually do because uh, there are some people that love to speak. There's some people that love to write. Uh, There's some people that love to be showy and all that type of thing. Some people love to do face-to-face. There are different formats of communication. You know where your sweet spot is. After doing this for so many years, I think that whole systems process, breaking it down into the parts that you enjoy, doing the parts you enjoy and then, summing it back up again into a result. Brilliant. I absolutely love that concept. And I think that's something that more and more people can actually do to achieve things in life. Or else it starts looking insurmountable. It's like, oh, a book. Oh, I just don't even think I can do that as an example. I mean, if you look at an integration exercise, even someone looking to buy a business, you know, could be so daunting. It's actually not. There are different component parts which you can break it down. And if you enjoy that type of thing, when it comes to the integration, same thing. You break it down into very easy digestible component parts, which is what you do. You're a systems guy. So I'm loving the word sprints because we talk a lot in project management and change management and so on in, in the, in, let's call it the more structured disciplines. You've got the Prince2 project management, you've got Waterfall and you've got Agile. And I mean, there are so many different methodologies and the sprints are tend to be more agile, if you like. So it's much more of an agile environment. Is how did I do this week? What am I going to do next week? What did I do? What can I improve on? What can I do next week that will just bump me up the next level? If you're looking at your writing, your book, you're obviously doing a, a podcast or some kind of YouTube video every week. And if you, like you said, if you don't want to do it, if you're not enjoying it, you just don't do it because you're probably not going to be at your best in any case. You're not going to deliver a decent result. At the end of the week, you're going to do a review and you're going to say, "Ah, you know what, I'm going to have to redo it because it's probably not great anyway. So you want to be at your best all the time and you want to break it down into those parts that can, where you can perform at your best and be in your zone, if you like, in your sweet spot. So I'm guessing that's where the sprints come from, and I'm loving it. So the strategy sprints concept is great. And seven days, it appears to be quite a short period of time. So then you really have to, I'm guessing, and maybe you just want to share some idea. You know, You probably want to break it down into such small enough chunks that are achievable. And, And maybe just you want to share a little bit more about how do you make that manageable? How do you break it down?
1: I can share with you the strategy sprint method and I can share you how I applied it to delivering the book, shipping the book that I just yes. shipped. Yes, very good It was idea. a one-year project, exactly one. Year. And so the method itself is we will have for the next 90 days, three goals, one marketing goal, one sales goal, one operations goal. And we will have one number each that we will measure every seven days. We want to see it going slightly up every week. That's the central sprint dashboard. Whole team looks at it. And now you are like a basketball team. You have one goal. You see if you are moving forward. And that gives you a ton of motivation and energy. The dashboard is always in real time. It's like angry birds. You shoot the bird 500 points. You shoot the bird 600 points. How do you feel? You want to shoot for 800. (laughs) And so you go, what? The week is gone. Hey, next week, I'm going to shoot for 900. That's how teams feel then. And that's the cool thing that we learned from the agile teams that, hey, they are motivated. They are super active because they see the impact and that gives them energy for more. So they look forward to the next week's sprint. And that's what you want to have in teams. That's the main momentum there. And then those three goals measured every 10 days, And then there is a daily habit, weekly habit, monthly habit, daily habit, how will you allocate your time and what to delegate, automate next. Weekly habit, look at the sprint dashboard. What do we learn from it? Goal of the next week sprint. Monthly habit, competitive analysis. What else can our clients do? Is our mindset at 100% check? All right, back to sprint goal. That's a simple system. It's basically all the agile methods brought together and also the scientific method. You always look at your assumptions about the world and about your products and your markets. The ones that really are validated, you do more of it, becomes the sprint call of next week. The ones that are not validated by your market numbers. So why are you doing things in the first place, right? To help somebody either have more time or more money. And So you have to measure if that is happening via the activities, even if it's a small activity and building a landing page. When do I know that the landing page is done? If it's creating more clicks, more conversions, and, and more people on our calendars, otherwise, The landing page is not done. That's the loop, right? So you do an activity, but why do you do it and how do you know that it's done? The loop is when it works and it works out there in the market when people buy it. They click it, they buy it, they subscribe to it, whatever your mechanism for conversion is. And that tells you, yeah, it's working. Do more of that. That's the scientific method. And we applied that to business creation
0: because i think what happens a lot especially in the marketing and sales environment is that most business people don't they start off let's say with they on their own or they bootstrap their business and they start to build it their biggest driver is find customers that need what they got to offer so they go right. out and they do that then eventually they start building all these complicated systems and processes employing people and then it becomes more of the business and less about the customer and over time It depends on the maturity of the business and how long that person has been in business. Sometimes we have to go back to basics. I often ask the question, like, what business are you in? And the owner will say, I do engineering or I've got an app and it does this and that. And I've got this. I'm like, no, you're in the sales and marketing business. You got to be able to target a customer, get the right product market fit and serve your customer to the best of your ability to make sure that there's nobody else serving your customer because without a customer, you don't have a business. Surely that's the bottom line, isn't it? So if you're building all these great, wonderful things, writing books, doing landing pages, and they're not delivering results and generating customers or serving existing customers, is that really business or is it just an ego trip to say, I've got 10 landing pages, or is it one landing page that's going to make the result? And that's often the difficulty and I think the balance that a lot of business people struggle with. I want to switch gears a little bit, Simon. And I mean, your, the stuff you've been sharing is absolutely brilliant. I want to talk a bit about your engagement plan, because my perception of the world is that there's normally two elements. Let's call it a service engagement. So as a practitioner, you'll enter a relationship with, let's call it the acquirer. And part of that relationship is how you work during the engagement with a contracting party. There's, let's call it a layer of engagement there. And then there's the what you do, which is the day to day, doing the work streams and the meetings and the this and the that. Now, if you're a systems guy, so this will be pretty easy for you. I'm sure you do it anyway, is separate those two, the doing from the engagement. So tell me, you've got someone that's interested in saying, hey, Simon, we are looking at buying, or we have bought, or we've got a few people on our target list, and we want to approach, and we're looking for someone that's really good at integrations, look at growth, looking at that, all the things that that you do, and we want you to be part of our team. We'd like you to come and present and tell us, What's your engagement process, not what you're going to do on site, but tell us how we engage with you as you and your team, because you do have a team that's yourself and, and your team. When you go on site, tell us a bit about that engagement process, which is clearly different from the actual doing, you know, the digging in the holes is different to actually making sure that you've got all the systems and processes in place to make sure that the project is delivered. You talk about 24 month engagement often. So that will be your engagement timing, I would imagine. But give us a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, so if we are invited to pitches, we don't go there. We only react if we are called personally and we are the only one asked because we do not engage in downward games. We want upward games. And pitches is just, you know, getting a lower price. And we are not in that field of giving lower prices. Our prices are fixed and they're not negotiated. What we show is... Project the structure, the skeleton that I told you. So without the content, we have one sample of a PMI handbook, and that's sixty pages of one twenty-four months, and we have one per industry. And we show them that it's without the logos and without the information of the actual client, but you see the skeleton, and you see each work group and how they are staffed. You see even the process how we decide who is in the work group in which role. You see per element we have three elements overall steering, content, and communication connection. These are the three levels of work. And for each work, there is what's the function of this element? What are the tasks? So the weekly accountabilities, what can you expect each week? And then there is it's so-called consultant support. So what will this outsider, that's us, what will we do? What will we not do? It says exactly what we do, what we don't do. You're was and like for example it's the uh, in scope out of scope conversation
0: like as project managers like to call it
1: yes and very granular who is gonna prepare each meeting it's pmo intern pmo extern is it two people one person etc how is the composition of that one person from acquired etc so it's very precise they see it and they go all right yeah you have done many i get it (laughs) And then, you know, the trust and the expertise thing is done. And now it's either want to pay the price or not. And if you're ready to pay the price, let's go. Let's integrate.
0: Yes. I mean, pitching is not a great way to gain, especially for service businesses, especially for people entering the service industry. To go in and be part of a tender and that whole process is just an absolute nightmare. I mean, I'm the same as you. I just don't do it. But what I love about your example and what you're doing is you're showing them that You've got the credibility, the know-how, you've got the toolkit, you've got the experience. And also something you said very quickly was I've got one per industry. So that's very interesting. So you've got a framework for 24 months and then all that has to happen now is that you just have to color that in. So you're showing them the what, not necessarily the how, but you're showing them the what I do. Here it is in 60 pages. Tell us how you differentiate between Industry. I mean, in, in your engagement, I'm not talking about the day to day, but how do you show a SaaS company, for instance, as opposed to engineering, or a, you know, give us some kind of a few examples of some differences in industry and how some of those plans would differ?
1: Yeah, one difference is B two B or B two C, because that's a whole different sales ah. strategy, market penetration strategy. Then you have the different industries in terms of structural complexity. Is this just a transaction of things? You buy this, I ship it, it's done. Or is it a complicated supply chain where you have 17 different um, interested parties in the supply chain and or some are building the parts and then they get assembled, etc. So what's the complexity? We call it the structural complexity. And then we have, you have the maturity level and the size, right? Is it the public or private company? We do both. And so that's a big difference, public or private. And then also because you have different stakeholder groups and, then, and different capital requirements and access to capital and cost of capital. Mm. And then and these are the main criteria. So when somebody asks, hey, can you integrate me? Then we pick something that has a similar structure or complexity. It's either B2B or B2C. And it's on a similar maturity level. Otherwise, they would say, "Oh, yeah, this works for a public traded company, but I'm a private company."
0: That's too much for me. I'm never going to be able to do that. Right? Yes, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking. They about, see PMO
1: but... and they go, "Oh my God, I don't have oh, a PMO." Oh. Don't worry, don't worry, we will build it up with you.
0: So we're getting closer to the end of the session, and I just want to to maybe just ask if there's a sort of a golden nugget you want to share, like what if there was one thing that. That stands out in your integration career and the various things you've done. Is there one thing that you could share with the audience that is a really good takeaway for them?
1: Yeah, I would say whatever you are doing to grow your business, the first question is, what is the direct path? And that might be something else than acquiring a competitor or acquiring a supplier. It might be licensing your IP. It might be creating a franchise model, a certification model. I run very well with a certification model. i never bought a competitor. I'm not looking into it because I have a more direct way to grow with less headache. (laughs) It's a lot of work to integrate something that you've bought. And especially if you are not in the business of doing it, it's the first time, right? So the first question is, Is it the direct path for you to grow? Then the second question is, okay, what's the right one to buy? And the the whole due diligence question. And then it's another set of a ton of work. And then the third question is, okay, where do I find the great pay my practitioner? And this is where you go to Dudley. These are the main questions, right? And if you are thinking of doing a bigger project, think of, okay, what's in the end, what should come out of there, engineer it back from there and make it really small chunks. If you want a hands-on methodology, how you do that, grab the strategy sprints method. You can have it for 20 bucks. It's a screaming bargain because there are multiple billions of additional revenues in here in the cases described and how they did it. It's nitty-gritty. And there are the blueprints and the checklists. It's not just an idea, book. It's really blueprints and checklists that I use every day to, to run my own business.
0: Love that. Love that. So Simon, you've been in this now, you've matured and went randomly Googling your name and strategy sprints and you'll pop up pretty much everywhere. And you've spent a lot of time and you've invested a lot of time, but you're obviously very passionate about it. Tell us what does the future look like? What's the next big thing? What's the plan? What's your next phase?
1: I am so much in love with the current moment. I've changed my approach to having, you know, big plans. And we have a vision. It's three years from now. It's seven pages of a PDF. It describes where we are in three years. And it's lovely to see that. And the whole team loves it. And it's lovely to, to see it. But I am not happy just because of the vision in three years. I'm already enjoying the here and now. I'm already scaling every week slightly We see things doubling, the number of clients doubling, number of their impact. They having 100 people in their surrounding who also get happier and have better lives and better businesses. So even just the now moment, I'm so happy about it. And so what I look at is, okay, yeah, let's double each part. I double the amount of coaches in my team. I'm doubling the amount of clients per continent right now. We're doubling all these things. We have zero milestones. We have one vision in three years. That's 10x from here. And then we have currently doubling buckets. And everybody has a direction and a sprint board. The sprint board is just these seven days, these three numbers, did they go up by 1%? They go up by 1%. I'm happy. And if not, I will put in a little bit more effort. That's it. This is how we roll. A three years vision and this week's task.
0: Love it. Simple, straightforward, and you found your peace. You found your inner being, which is absolutely brilliant. And just one one last question: What do you do in, in your pastime or your full time at work? Tell us about you know a bit of work life balance. Do you think it is important? Do you do it? Maybe just share a bit of who's Simon. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: You know, I'm now forty two. I have reached financial freedom and I own a business that is able to operate without me. So I enjoy my life. I only do work with people and with projects that I enjoy uh, every week. And I only accept things that are measured every week. So it's a handful of projects that I do 10 projects at a time. I do not allow myself 11. And I do not allow, just to stay focused. You know? I have always a project list, 10 projects. And I do not allow a project to become a project if there is not a seven days measuring of the three main numbers. If they tell me, well, but three main numbers, I say, all right, I'm not the right one. I'm out. And by doing this, automatically, I cut out 80% of the projects that would be low energy. Hmm. Because there are many people who want to hide performance, hide results, hide accountability. It's all fine. I'm not judging it. I just don't want to be part of those projects. (laughs) Everybody, you know, there are so many ways of living your life. Enjoy them all. I respect them all, but I do not engage in all. (laughs) So uh, these are the 10 projects that I run. I pick them by the criteria. Do I like the people? Do I like the project? And are they okay with measuring every seven days, the three main numbers? I run those 10 things, but how does a day look like? My day to day, I was running for an hour in nature. So, workout is the first priority for me. Every day, I wanna do exercise in nature. I love that. I'm a triathlete. I wanna be moving around in nature. That's what I love. Then, I play with my kids. I have three kids. I wanna play with them at least twice per day. That's why I don't fly. And then, during the day, in the morning, I have more deep work, focused work. In the afternoon, meetings, hiring, interviews, being on podcasts, all of this more collaborative stuff. And then 6 p.m. I stop working. I do either cooking for my family because I love it or my wife cooks and then I play with the kids and they are small. They're all below six. So we do singing, dancing, inventing stuff. It's just fun.
0: I love that. Uh, I absolutely love that. And just Simon, Severino, if you, if you just share maybe with the audience, how do they get hold of you? If they want to have a chat to you, what do, we, what do they do? Where do they find you?
1: You find the book on Amazon Strategy Sprints. You find the tools that we discussed as open source on strategysprints.com. And I have two YouTube channels that where I share my mistakes and learnings of the week. One is called Simon Severino. One is called...
0: Love it. And uh, I love this scale faster, feel great now.
1: (laughs) Yes, because everything else is just, you know, running around the bush. You can feel great now. You don't have to hustle. You don't have to suffer. All of this stuff is optional. You can feel great right now.
0: Love it. Simon, thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Absolutely loved, your, loved the session. Hopefully you'll be okay to join us again in, the, in in sometime in the future. And really, I thoroughly enjoyed it. That's the end of our episode. Thank you very much, everybody. Again, if you'd like to get hold of Simon, Simon Savino, Strategy Sprints, Google it, go onto the YouTube channel, go to Amazon, you'll find it available, any of his material, and you're welcome to then take it from there. Thank you very much. This is Dudley again, and if you need help with a future or existing post-merger integration, I want to invite you to arrange a free, no-obligation meeting with us. During the meeting, we'll find out exactly what you need, what your challenges are, and we'll explain how our unique PMI slipstream method can help you. Simply call us or visit mergerintegration.co.uk That's mergerintegration.co.uk
1: or come to our website, skillfulpursuit.com.